Today on Abounding Grace from Pastor Ed Taylor. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. So use your freedoms in a way that will glorify God. I'm not against hobbies or video games or any of that. But I can tell you this. God is calling you to a much higher calling to use your freedoms to glorify God because your life's going to go past. It's going to go away. It's going to be just like a vapor. You're going to look back and go, where did all the time go? And for some of you, you're going to be able to say, man, all the time went serving the Lord. And some of you are going to look back and go, man, I don't know. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. friend, glad to have you on board as we dig deeper into 1 Samuel on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. David was described as a man after God's own heart, but that doesn't mean he didn't fail from time to time. Today, we'll look at some of his poor decisions and the consequences that followed. Pastor Ed will also recall the rescuing power of God. Allow that to encourage your heart that no matter how messed up your life has been, God can still forgive, restore, and go on to use you greatly. Here's Pastor Ed in 1 Samuel. Those little, seemingly little, insignificant, no one knows types of decisions that you're making have very open and public consequences. I'm reminded even in my own life the messes that I've made with decisions and how God reigns. He doesn't abandon me. He doesn't condemn me. He also doesn't always take away the consequences. He allows them to be lived out in my life. He allows me to remember them. He allows me to deal with them. He uses them as a reminder to, to avoid that in the future. Sometimes he does remove the consequences. I'm always grateful for that. But I find so, so often he'll step up and he'll move in. Why? Well, not only because he's gracious, but because he owns me. I belong to him. He has my best interests in heart. He wants me to succeed. He wants you to make it. He wants you to live in victory. He wants you to live as a conquering hero. He wants you to follow Jesus who always leads you in victory. He wants you to remember that he's in control. He, he has our best interests at heart. He's not some, some cosmic killjoy, you know, and, and developing a pattern in our life so we would just be miserable. It's quite the opposite. He intervenes and leads us in our lives so that he might, we might live the life that will most glorify him, which will be the life that we most enjoy. The joy, the joy of our lives come when we glorify and please him, even in failure. I mean, let me show you this. Turn over to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy chapter 2. God will often step up. He will often move in. He will often save and rescue. And this one's a really cool passage. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll pick up in verse 11, really in verse 10. As Paul is writing to young Timothy, Timothy's a pastor. He has an older man in his life, Paul, who's discipling him and teaching him and training him in the ministry. It's known as one of the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus. And I'm going to add, when I mention pastoral epistles, 2 Corinthians. 
Because those of you that are with us when we study through 2 Corinthians, you'll remember that it is the most pastoral epistle that Paul ever wrote because he just exposed his heart as a man that serves the Lord. So notice this in verse 10. Therefore, Paul writes, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they might also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. Okay, Paul, I believe you. This is faithful. You can rely upon this. It's trustworthy. This, this is what he's about to say can change your life. You can trust it that much. If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. And then notice this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Remind them of these things charging them before the Lord not to argue about nonsense and so and so. He goes on. Man, even when I'm faithless, he remains faithful. You know, I found in my life that I trust God not because I'm so mature as a believer. And I trust God not because I've been walking with him for so many years or I have some position or title in his church. I don't trust God because, you know, I'm, I'm as strong as I can be or because I've got it all together, because I'm smarter than I was when I was a new believer or because I know how to read the Bible or because of the amount of time I pray. Listen, I trust God because he's proven himself trustworthy in my life. I trust God because he's exploded on my life in times revealing himself trustworthy when I didn't trust him. He revealed himself as faithful even when I was faithless. And when you think of the word trustworthy, think of this. God is trustworthy. You know what that word means? God is worthy of your trust. How many times has he proven that over and over again in your life? You can have mile marker after mile. Everybody's, everybody's testimony. Once they get done talking about their past, which should be very brief, and even in talking about their past, I'm sure you can find times when, God, when you were rebellious against God, and how God saved you, took care of you, blessed you. You didn't die in that car accident. Uh, you didn't, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. I mean, I just mentioned that. You go, yeah, die in that car accident. Yeah, that's what came to my mind because I still remember. I still have a bum knee because of a car accident that we were in because we were drinking and partying and we hit a concrete light pole at 60 miles an hour. None of us should have walked away. But out of the four that walked away, two are walking with the Lord today. And out of the four that walked away, that one is pastoring a church today. And of the four that walk away, we're still praying for the other two. Because God is gracious. I'm sure you have some kind of stories like that. Maybe not that crazy. I'm not crazy like you, Ed. Praise God. <laughs> you didn't live my life. It was horrible. Consequential. But that was the first thing that came to my mind. I mean, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I can remember how it smelled. I remember seeing it. I remember walking away. I remember it like it was yesterday. And the Lord's just like, you know, don't, don't forget, Ed, when you're remembering that, how faithful I've been to you. <laughs> Make sure you smell that one, buddy. Make sure you remember that. Don't just walk away thinking of the apartment building. It was there and all the people that came out and the sirens and all of that. Don't, don't, don't you forget that not only did you walk away, but you didn't kill anyone. Not only did you walk away, but you could go home to your girlfriend at the time and your son. Don't forget that that day that you could, your life could have ended, your life was spared, and he could probably remind me of a hundred times of that. Man, my God is trustworthy. He's worthy of trust, and he gets my life. It belongs to him. 
And as you're sharing your testimony, what is your testimony? It's not of all the great triumphs that you have. Your testimony is all about the faithfulness of God. It's all about his goodness. Some may look at David's life today. Some might look at David's messed up life and the rescuing power of God and the faithfulness of God to intervene and rescue him and come to the wrong conclusion. You go, Ed, what do you mean? Well, the thinking sounds a lot, little bit like this. Well, Ed, if I mess up my life, then God will rescue me and save me. And if he's going to rescue and save me anyway, then why don't I just choose to live a messed up life and do what I want to do? I mean, if God's going to intervene anyway, then why don't I just go for it? What's the real cost? I mean, really, what's the real cost? If, if God's just going to rescue me, I mean, look at David. What a knucklehead that guy is. I'm not even close to being like that. And if God's going to let him be king, then surely, why don't I just do that? Now, it's actually described differently in the New Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, Paul describes it this way. Listen, let me just read it to you. Let it soak in. Paul says this, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be, came, will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through our righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the conclusion might be from this passage, if sin abounded... And where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Hey, why don't I just sin more and I'll experience more abounding grace? You know, people think that way. They misunderstand the grace of God, the goodness of God, the patience of God. They misunderstand it. They, they misunderstand because a sin isn't immediately, you know, you're not caught immediately, that somehow that means God approved of what you did in secret. Because after all, I mean, if God really didn't want, you know, if God really wanted to deal with me in sin, he'd deal with me right then and there. He'd just bust me right then and there. But we've seen in the pattern of David's life, that's not the case. God's very gracious, very patient. I think of Achan in the book of Joshua, who was told specifically, along with the nation of Israel, that when you take the city, all the spoils belong to the Lord. Everything belongs to the Lord. But he sees a few Babylonian garments, the Bible says. He takes them for himself, and he goes to hide them under his tent. And then he thought he got away with it. They're hidden under the tent. Nobody knows. Like, like something's hidden in your room right now. Nobody knows. Well, read about Achan, would you? It's like nobody knows. Yeah, maybe no human being knows. But number one, we learn from Achan's life, God knew. And number two, he told the leaders... And then the leader, Joshua, calls everyone out and he divides everybody. He takes the whole nation out and God just begins to divide. And every time he gives the people a chance, they get smaller and smaller by family, by family, by family till finally Achan is exposed for the liar that he is. And, and he says, oh, yeah, it was me. And, and he went in and he had to go expose him. What does he do? He loses his life and his family. But not only that, people died in that battle because of his sin. And so the conclusion in David's life can never be, and the conclusion of the teaching of grace can never be, and the conclusion of the faithfulness of God can never be, and the conclusion of how God loves and intervenes and loves to rescue can never be, I'm going to willfully, deliberately sin so I can see more of the grace of God in my life. You go, Ed, you're just making that up. I'm not. Listen. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? 
Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Shall we who died to sin, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So if the question comes up that what we've learned so far leads us to this strong, emphatic answer, so should we continue in sin? I mean, look at David and look at other failures in the scriptures. Look at your own failure, Ed. Look at what you did. I mean, even as we're raising our kids and being very open with what God's done in our life and sharing with them not only what God has done, uh, but what we lived through and just being age-appropriate, honest with our kids all the way through into adulthood, we're very, very much emphatic in their lives. Don't make the choices we made. Don't do it. Yeah, but look, Dad, look. We've got a home and we're living. You love the Lord. And, you know, if it all worked out for you, man, those were hard years. They were hard years, the consequences of sin. There were pains and injuries and scars that don't quickly heal. The consequences of sin are never worth, never worth it. Paul says, certainly not. The NIV says, by no means. The New Living Translation says, of course not. The Old King James says, God forbid to live in sin so that grace may abound. The grace of God is not and never will be God's permission to live a life that's disobedient and rebellious. Now, turn over to 1 Peter. If you're still not convinced, let me take you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. It's not God's heart for you to throw your life away. It's not God's heart for you to take things into your own hands. It's God's heart for you to submit yourself to the ownership of God who sent his son Jesus Christ to purchase you with his own blood. The grace of God is no longer, is not permission to sin against God, but rather the love of God leads a person to repentance. Notice what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Well, let's go for the, um, the sentence begins in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. Or another way of translating that, a paraphrase is, not using your freedom in Christ or the grace of God as a covering for sin. So I said, well, man, brother, you're, I, I think what you're doing, the Bible prohibits. And you go, well, hey, brother, you can't judge me, man. I'm free in Christ, but not to sin. It, it's not the, that's not why God is entrust, entrusted to us life and freedom. But notice, as servants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, fear God, and honor the king. Freedom is not to be used as an excuse to satisfy ourselves, the freedoms of God are used to serve others. The freedoms of God are not to be used as an excuse for our sin, but the freedoms that we have in God are to be used as an example to others. We're actually to learn in our maturity to say no to more things for the sake of the gospel, to reach more people. As we mature and grow in our grace, grow in our relationship with God, you're going to find yourself wanting to do far less with your freedoms for the sake of the weaker brethren, for the sake of people that are looking to you for hope and help and example. How am I supposed to live this life? What am I supposed to do now? What do I do with this addiction? How about this pornography? All I do is play video games all night. What do you do? Well, I'm a believer for 20 years, and you know, I, I just play video games all night. Well, you're wasting your time. Get out of your basement and go share the gospel with somebody. Give yourself wholly over to God. 
You go, Ed, are you against video games? I'm not against video games. But I am against throwing your life away. I am against throwing your life away because you can do something. Listen, mark this. Write it down. Don't forget it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. So use your freedoms in a way that will glorify God. I'm not against hobbies or video games or any of that. But I can tell you this. Some people right now were very provoked and might even be mad at me right now for what I said. You know why? Because they understand. They understand. God is calling you to a much higher calling to use your freedoms to glorify God because your life's going to go past. It's going to go away. It's going to be just like a vapor. You're going to look back and go, where did all the time go? And for some of you, you're going to be able to say, man, all the time went serving the Lord. And some of you are going to look back and go, man, I don't know. And although we have this tremendous freedom in Jesus Christ, it's not a freedom that we can use to sin, to hurt, or to harm people. It's not a freedom to rebel or resist God. It's not a freedom we exercise in order to express our own personal desires without any thought or concern for other people. Freedom exercised properly thinks of more highly, like Paul said to the Philippians, to think more highly of others than we do ourselves. Freedom is so costly and so valuable. You think of the own freedom of how many lives have been lost in battle over the years for the freedoms just of our own country that we enjoy and, and experience today. How much was sacrificed? How many lives paid the price for the freedoms that you exercise today just within the country that we live? And yet, at the same time, the far more valuable blood was shed for the spiritual freedoms that you and I have. And they're not for ourselves. There's such a movement. It's nothing new because it's in the New Testament. It's nothing new, but we see it today where the generations that come up before us are always emphasizing their freedoms to, exert, to make excuses for their behaviors that are not reflective of the love of God, not reflective of care and concern for anyone else. As a matter of fact, so, so often I'll find young people that have grown up in our church start to exercise freedoms and they just become evil company corrupting other good habits of other people. And it's not God's heart. It's not God's desire. It's not God's desire for you to grow up in the things of the Lord and then exercise your freedoms in such a way where now, you know, we talked about it this last weekend where, you know, fellowship is, you know, you call it fellowship, but there's no fellowship at all. It's nothing about the Lord. You're getting into this little thing over here or this little freedom over there or this little thing over there, and, and before you know it, you're not talking about the things of the Lord. You're not praying for people that are around you. You're getting into other things that are popular in our culture. And we see them come and go, come and go. So don't misunderstand David here or his life. Because although God was gracious with him, all these decisions have consequences. Now, as we close uh, with verse 8, it says, David said to Achish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I've been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And Achish answered and said to David, I know that you're good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said he shall not go up with us to battle. Now therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come up with you. And as soon as you are early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. There's a couple things. One, David, why don't you just get it the first time? 
You know, why are you, well, hey, wait a minute, what have you seen? You know, he's more worried about his reputation than, than he's going to go fight against the people of Israel. But one of the things I see here, and we don't have time to get into it, but just something maybe you can think about in your own life, do your own Bible study. Of all the guys that are with him, why didn't any of his guys say this? He's got 600 people with him. Why didn't anybody say, we're not going to the land of the enemy? We're not going. We're not fighting against Israel. I mean, I mean, we're on the run and this is bad, but David, we're not going to fight with the enemy. We're not. Why, I don't see any of his men stepping up and going, are you crazy? What are you doing? And how often we need to speak up for the truth, even in a group of, even when someone that we respect is going in the wrong direction, we need to stand for what is right. And none of his people, none of the guys that are with him, because David's hitting a new low in his life. And yet, the next time we see David, God is doing a restorative work in his life. It's, it's an amazing thing. You've been listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor and part of our study in First and Second Samuel. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or get it on Google Play. Each month, we suggest a book that we believe can help you in your walk with Christ. This month, it's Thriving in Babylon by Larry Osborne. You'll learn why hope, humility, and wisdom matter in a godless culture. We'll send you a copy with our thanks when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or order it online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we continue delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. One other thing you might want to check out if you're in the midst of grief or suffering is Pastor Ed's blog. He shares raw thoughts on life, ministry, and grief at edtaylor.org. Let's return to the message now as Pastor Ed finishes up 1 Samuel 29. I just think as we close up the chapter that to me I'm really blessed that when we're reading the scriptures, that we learn about the whole man that God uses. Because we can get in our minds that the men of God in the scriptures, pastors perhaps, you have that tendency perhaps to put people on pedestals and think, well, you know, Billy Graham must be something special. You know, God used him in a special way, but Billy Graham's just a man like you and me. And his wife, just a woman like you and me. What makes them different, perhaps, is the amount of yielding they did to the Holy Spirit and God's anointing in their life. But they're no different. They're no different. David, no different. He's just like us. And why do we know that? Or how do we know that? Because we're learning about the whole man and the whole woman that God uses. We learn about the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I believe if God didn't give us the lowlights of David's life, if the Bible only gave us the highlights, his victories, his strong faith, his trust in God, we would think, wow, isn't it great to be David? But I could never be David. Because when I look at my life, there are some great highs, but there's also some really bad lows. And to think of reading a Bible, can you imagine reading the Bible and never reading of a man of God struggle? Never reading of a woman of God struggling with worry and fear and anxiety? Can you imagine a Bible without the Psalms? 
of all the emotion that's elicited by David in his life and the other psalmists where, yeah, he had great highs, but he also had great lows. So you look at, if if God only gave us the highs of people, we would look at them and we'd say, you know what, that's awesome what God can do with David, but I know God can't use me. And we go, why? And you would say something like, well, I'm weak. I've lied in my past. I've failed. I've run away. I've got into this. I've used my freedom some other way. And there's times when I've been afraid. There's times when I've been worried about my kids. There's times when I've just been freaking out. And, and so, man, if, if we only had the highlights of David's life, we'd never, and never have the lowlights, and we would be so discouraged. But we don't. We have all his life. I mean, at least the episodes that God reserved. Some really great highs and some really significant lows. You see, being weak, stumbling along at times, failing, doesn't disqualify me, doesn't disqualify you. You see, if I yield my life to God, I repent of my sin, I ask for God's forgiveness and strength, He meets me there. God will use me. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll spotlight what God can do in a human life that's drifted a bit. It's an encouraging lesson you won't want to miss. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.